Now here's a highlight from Coast to Coast AM on iHeartRadio. And welcome back to Coast to Coast. George Norrie with you. David Weatherly back with us, the renaissance man of the strange and the supernatural. He has traveled the world in search of mysterious monsters, ghosts, magic, folklore, and legends. And from dusty castles to strange remote islands to ancient sites, he's been there. He has journeyed to the most unusual places on the globe, seeking the unusual. David has become fascinated with the weird and the unusual at a very early age, and for decades he has charted a course of exploration and investigation of the unexplained. David, welcome back, my friend. George, good to talk to you. Looking forward to this. And uh, how young were you when you got interested in these unusual things? Well, you know, I was uh, one of those kids who grew up loving ghost stories and, uh, you know, hearing my grandmother tell uh, different tidbits of old folklore and such. So, uh, you know, by the time I was in my early teens, I was actively investigating this stuff. And of course, that was the 1970s. It wasn't wasn't a very hip thing back then. <laughs> you, know, so, uh, you know, I always tell people when I got into this uh, into this field, you know, if I went to a party, I was guaranteed a nice, quiet evening alone as soon as I mentioned what I was interested in, because nobody wanted to hear, you know, <laughs> about ghosts or Bigfoot or UFOs and things like that. It was, oh, you know, I'll stay away from this guy. But uh, it's kind of the polar opposite now. You know, I go to a gathering and mention what I do, and there's a, a queue out the door because everybody has a story to tell. Yeah, now you're the center of attention when uh, when you bring it up. I guess so. <laughs> Oh, that's fantastic. And you have brought us over the years, David, uh, some great stories. I mean, how many years have you been on coast with us now? Oh, gosh, I, I can't even remember. Uh, Ten, maybe? At least. At least. Yeah. Gosh, and I'll always remember the Black Eyed Kids. The, that, <laughs> that, that, that incredible book, The Black Eyed Children, is uh, it's still haunting. You know that? People, yeah. pic- people picture these kids coming to your door you know, let us in, let us in. It's it's something. How did you stumble across that story? Uh, that one, well, you know, in the early days of the Internet, of course, stories started circulating about the, the Black Eyed Kids. Uh, Brian Bethel's account, of course, the most famous one that, uh, you know, became pretty widespread, and then a lot of other uh, accounts. Back then, just like now, on the Internet, when something was posted, it's very difficult to trace down the source. And uh, it, it got on my radar just because I was, you know, one of those people that tried to track all kinds of weird and, and creepy stories and so forth. Um, but I didn't put a lot of energy into it until people started um, giving me reports directly that they had encountered these things. And then it kind of took on a, a different uh, different texture because suddenly, you know, it wasn't just a, a secondhand story or a friend of a friend. You know, suddenly there were people that I was able to talk to directly that had encountered these things. And now, of course, Eerie Companions, A History of Haunted Dolls. How many dolls are we talking about? Is this Is this like widespread? Oh, it is indeed. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, this has become, of course, a big thing in recent years because of the the hobby of collecting haunted objects. So there's actually a pretty extensive uh, what they call a haunted doll trade that takes place online. You know, you can go on eBay on any given day and find, you know, dozens upon dozens of these things for sale. Uh, there are websites that sell, you know, dolls. And, and all of these, I should note, are 
you know, purportedly they're haunted. Right. Uh, but uh, of course, each one has to be taken on an individual basis. But the the thing is, is that it, it's grown into this whole um, segment of the doll trait, you know, which is, of course, uh, very old at this point anyway. And the media has helped hype this so much because, you know, look at how many creepy doll movies come out, George. Oh, my God. In recent years, we've got, of course, the Annabelle franchise. Right, which uh, was Ed and Lorraine Warren's uh, top story, wasn't it? That's right. Yeah, yeah. And uh, And then the Chucky doll. The the Chucky, yeah. (laughs) Chucky, which... um, you know, my uh, our our mutual friend Joshua Warren. He and I yeah. talk a lot about uh, Robert the doll, who I call the the grand the granddaddy of haunted dolls. Yeah, exactly. Kind of he kind really of sets the precedent, and it's such an amazing story about a haunted object. The whole the whole tale of Robert. Uh, but there's a lot of indications that Robert was a big influence on the creators of the Chucky franchise. Uh, some people dispute that, but Joshua and I have both heard things that I, I agree with pretty you. Pretty much directly point to okay, yeah, he he was a major influence. David, how far back does the origin of haunted dolls go? How how well, far back or- have you traced it? Well, now that's a curious. Uh, question in some ways, George, because the, the origin of dolls themselves, of course, go back thousands of years. Sure. I mean, they found dolls in, in ancient uh, Egyptian ruins. They have, uh, they found a doll a few years ago that was dated to 4,500 years old. Uh, and the thing is, is when we get into the early period of these dolls, they're not necessarily haunted, but what's curious is that many of these uh, objects were used not as toys, but for magic and ritual. And that kind of curves right into one of the reasons that dolls can be haunted, is their use uh, in ritual magic. So, you know, if we if we look at that question on one hand, we could say, well, you know, we've got Robert who showed up in the early 1900s. Uh, but if we look at uh, sort of that creep factor and, and what can be instilled in dolls, then we're going back easily hundreds of years. I had talked to a voodoo practitioner, David, about voodoo dolls, and she had told me that the media blew it out of proportion and completely changed the meaning of their dolls. And this is what she said. She said, we would pray for individuals. We'd make a doll in their image We'd put their name on a little piece of paper and stick a pin through it to keep their name on the body of the doll. And, you know, that way we would pray for you and uh, we'd have this little figurine that looked like you. And when the media started covering it, all they saw were pins stuck in dolls thinking that it was something evil, like your sense, you know, sticking a knife in someone and saying a prayer. And it got blown out of proportion. That was an interesting story. Yeah, and that's kind of, you know, that's certainly one perspective. And uh, from a practitioner like that, it's, it's pretty interesting to hear. I, I will say, however, that this idea of using dolls to curse things, it's, it's much, much older than that. Because what happened with the voodoo doll in particular is that we have something created essentially from the melting pot of early America. You know, we had the... The slaves who were in the country, of course, and the Europeans uh, from various uh, countries that were mixing their ideas. And if we look at the 
what we now perceive as a modern voodoo doll. You know, it's this little cloth thing that's sewn together. Well, uh, that relates more to uh, a European tradition of using what's called a poppet. And a poppet can be used in various kinds of magic to uh, often to harm people, uh, but for other reasons too. And it's sort of married into African and Haitian traditions of using carved fetishes for various magical purposes. So it's really interesting to look at, George, because, you know, this comes in from so many different directions and so many different cultures. Uh, I, I do agree that the media sort of co-created this whole idea of the, you know, the terrifying voodoo doll uh, that can be used to, to harm someone. However, there are times historically we can go back and point to uh, specific instances of people using dolls, whether it's a poppet or something mm-hmm. else, to try to curse someone. And in fact, one of the greatest stories uh, is from the early 1800s. Uh, Carolina Brunswick, who was uh, Princess of Wales, she was married to Prince Regent, who would later become King George IV. But she hated him, George. So there's historical documents, uh, her diary, in fact, that talks about the fact that she would spend hours crafting wax images of him, little dolls, in his likeness. Oh. And she would stick them full of pins and put them over a fire to roast. She did the opposite of what a voodoo doll should have been, huh? <laughs> well, she was, I mean, she was trying to curse him and trying to harm him because she despised him so much. What happened to the guy? Uh, ultimately, there's nothing that, you know, we can point to that say... He, he that didn't the, die of a heart attack or anything like yeah, that, did he? Right. So, you know, because she ended up, of course, uh, they separated and she she went to live with her lover in Italy or something like that. But, um, you know, it's still, it's, it's a fascinating historical record that this idea has been with us for a very long time, that the concept that you can take an image of a person, it's sympathetic magic is what it's called, uh, you can take a, an image of a person and use that to project something onto them by manipulating the image, whether that be positive or negative. That's that's a good point. It's going to be interesting when we take calls next hour, David, to see if people have any doll stories they want to share with us as as well. They are oh, kind of they, they are kind of freaky, aren't they? I mean, I get freaked out with children ghost stories. I mean, they just creep me out. I don't know why. But they just do. And, uh, you know, when you hear these movies and you hear a little kid's voice from the other dimension, you know, Mommy, Mommy, where are you? Mm-hmm. I, I don't know why, but why do little kids' stories, uh, i.e. dolls, freak us out so much? Well, there's a couple answers to that, George. Uh, you know, if you're talking about little kids' stories, like, uh, you know, haunted locations that reportedly have children spirits and things like that, uh, there's a psychological component that comes in because, you know, I, it, adults are hardwired to take care of children. And, you know, if, if something like that is, um, is contradictory, it's the same thing we've talked about with black-eyed children. You know, uh, we're, we're hardwired to help kids. And if a kid comes up and says, Mr., I need, you know, to use your phone or I need to find my mother or something like that, you're going to want to help them. But if all your warning signals are going off that something's wrong, it's a whole different ballgame. So, you know, this translates somewhat to, to dolls, but then not quite, because uh, what we get with dolls, uh, we get something that is in the image of a human, 
but there's no way to really relate to it mm-hmm. as you would another living being. And, you know, this this is a very difficult thing for, for people to deal with. Uh, you know, there was a, a whole study done in 2013 that talked about creepiness. You're talking about how creepy these things are. And would you be shocked to know, George, that one of the creepiest hobbies is collecting dolls? <laughs> creepiest hobby. One of the I, w- I would think hobbies. it. I would think it was not a non-creepy hobby. But uh, go ahead, tell me more. Well, you know, they did this study to determine exactly what creepiness. Uh, you know, what made people feel creepy. What things right. um, registered as creepiness. And one of the things that came up were hobbies. Uh, so they they pulled all these people and you know a couple thousand people and they looked at this this concept and basically said you know what do you find creepy and uh, again one of the things that topped the list was was adults who collect dolls uh, but this goes right back into this concept of an object that is not something we can really relate to even though we should be able to so you know there's 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 something you have to consider if uh, if you and I are sitting talking and you know face to face there are subtle things that go on you know there are eye movements there are there's subtle body language and so forth and you know that happens on a regular basis no matter who or what living being you're interacting with because if you're interacting with your dog or your cat, or, or even, you know, a, a squirrel that's, you know, sitting on the fence post near you. There are certain things that occur that register in our brains that, oh, this is a living being I'm interacting with. So we kind of know what to expect. We know what's going to happen to a degree uh, because we, we're used to those living motions and movements. But what happens, George, when you're confronted with an object that looks like it should be giving off those subtle signals, but it doesn't really. Right. So, you know, we've got this doll that has human features. It has eyes. It's, you know, a lot of people would say that thing's staring at me, <laughs> but you know, it's, huh. it's, it's probably not blinking. It's not, you know, it's, it's not doing any of the normal things that uh, would register those subtle signals for us to be able to interact with it as we would another living creature. And, we take the next leap when these things do exhibit some kind of behavior because we know consciously they shouldn't. You know, we're thinking that doll should not have just turned its head to look at me. <laughs> you know, exactly. Not, uh, shouldn't be capable of that. So something is very, very wrong here. And the fascinating thing about this whole this whole idea of creepiness that these people studied is that, you know, from from our early beginnings as humans, uh, we sort of became programmed with these concepts, these, these things within our brain that help us register uh, living activity and so forth. Uh, it has a safety net, you know, so that we're aware when there's danger and so forth. And now we're in a world that is presenting us with extremely different things that we have to somehow comprehend and put into our, our daily uh, interactions. David, uh, back in the 1970s, I believe it was 1970 directly, the uh, Warrens uh, uh, were telling the story about uh, the student nurse that was given the doll that they say was Annabelle. And that, you know, went on and on and on. The doll is still around in uh, the Warrens Occult Museum in uh, Monroe, Louisiana. And uh, 
they are dead now, of course, both of them. But what do you think of this thing? Monroe, Connecticut, rather. It's in Connecticut. It's, uh, you know, it's definitely one of the uh, most fascinating haunted doll stories simply because, uh, one, it's been around a long time. Two, it's gotten so much attention. Yeah, a movie, too. In recent right? years. Yeah, the, mo- the movies, you know, that sprang off from The Conjuring uh, that have been very successful. And, you know, it, it's, it's hard really to voice an opinion on the entirety of the question of whether or not this thing is haunted. The Warrens certainly believe that it was. They did. And, yeah. or, or that, and, you know, um, and, and they devoted their life to these kinds of stories. They did indeed. And, you know, we can certainly say that if, if Robert the doll is, is the granddaddy, then Annabelle is probably the grandmother. Because yeah. Uh, it's it's been a very solid story for a lot of years, and um, you know the the doll now is which a lot of people don't realize this uh, because they're only familiar with the doll from the movies. But the the Annabelle doll itself is a Raggedy Ann doll, which uh, I don't know about you, George. But that's probably one of the the least frightening. <laughs> yeah, they looked uh, just kind of funny looking. Yeah, um, but it's it's actually it's a Raggedy Ann doll. And uh, they changed that for the movie to the real creepy, you know, porcelain-headed uh, doll, just for effect. Uh, however, the Annabelle doll, it is kept in a secured, uh, you know, blessed, holy container in the Warrens Museum. And, and no one's allowed to take it out or touch it and so forth because of the, the purported danger that surrounds it. And now, and I've seen some dolls that are truly scary-looking and they're made that way on purpose, aren't they? Oh, they are. Yeah, they are in modern times, you know, because we've gotten we've gotten to the point where people are making dolls to, to look creepy. There's a whole range of, what do they call them, living dead dolls and uh, other various things that are looking to appeal to horror fans and people who are interested in the paranormal. Listen to more Coast to Coast AM every weeknight at 1 a.m. Eastern and go to coasttocoastam.com for more.